Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life, and I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I'm the director of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. We have full-time missionaries stationed in North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, and we have ministry representatives carrying forward our commitment to equip and engage the body of Christ in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting in a number of countries around the globe. To learn more about our work and to inquire about how you can help us raise up disciple-making disciples, go to traincpe.org. I'm also the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Our great pursuit in God's Word is always to find the road that leads to Christ, exalts His gospel, and finds in Him our complete sufficiency. You can learn more about our fellowship by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Now have your Bibles ready and turn to Romans chapter 5. At the end of verse 14, we see that sinning Adam is called a type of the one who was to come. How is it possible that Adam could be a type of the coming one, Jesus Christ the Messiah? Only in this way. Adam is a negative type of which Jesus is the positive antitype. By antitype, we mean fulfillment. In the same way that Adam, by one act of sin, brought upon all the world multiplying misery, Christ, by one great act of obedience, will bring to the world a multiplication of grace and mercy. That's the truth. That's what's being revealed to us. That's the hope that is being left before us. Paul is going to talk about the free gift that this antitype Christ will bring And he's going to talk about the abundance of life that he brings that will exceed the compiling of the record of sin and death in our life and the record of sin and death in the world. But to appreciate the free gift, Paul is going to juxtapose him against and he's going to continue to press home the misery that Adam has brought to all of us. And so, again, let's look at this for a moment. Let's consider it. So here's our first point that we're going to give to you this morning, and it's this. In Adam's one sin... There is this growing math of sin. There is this growing account of sin that builds off of Adam's one act of disobedience that is being pressed home to us. Look at verses 13 and 14. We spoke about this a month ago. Look at verses 13 and 14. There we read this. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Now, we mentioned this before, that the the Jews had an idea that sin was only actually, in a sense, actualized when a law had been given. They actually believed that the pronouncing of the law on Mount Sinai, and hearing the pronouncing of the law, God made known their sins, but it was in that place that God led them to a place of sacrifice where their sins were forgiven. So the law was necessary in order to be know their sins and be cleansed of their sins. And the Gentiles were just in a condemned state, but they had no knowledge of their sins, so they had no way or no access to get forgiveness through a sacrifice for their sins. And that is basically the idea that they believe. And Adam, uh, Paul is to some extent promoting that idea. But for the, the Jew, their idea was that there was no sin, ultimately, until the law was pronounced. Paul is not agreeing with that idea. He's saying, no, it's just that the sin wasn't accounted for. It wasn't understood. It wasn't appreciated. But sin was still in the world, and it was still ruling, and death was still ruling up to that point in time. And we know it's true that Cain murdered his brother before the law was given. Before thou shalt not murder was given and pronounced on Mount Sinai, Cain murdered his brother, and God judged Cain. And after that, Lamech 
came and boasted to his two wives that he had slain men and that he was going to suffer like his great-grandfather was Cain had suffered and on and on went murder. And then not only that, we read in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, that the Lord saw that wickedness was great upon the earth to such an extent that it grieved his heart, that the heart, the intent of men was evil always. So God judged the world with a flood. And then after that came Sodom and Gomorrah. And God judged Sodom and Gomorrah with fire. And we might read on and see over and over again these judgments of God coming upon the sinful acts of men. And if you go back to Romans chapter 2, you'll remember that Paul tells us that even without the giving of the law recorded in the Ten Commandments, that individuals who don't have that law are a law unto themselves. They have a conscience that tells them right and wrong. That conscience is imperfect. Sometimes they're convicted about things that are really not sin. Other times they're not as convicted as they should be, to the extent they should be, of things that are sin. But as a general rule, there's a conviction that's going on, a conscience. That conscience can become seared and it can become hardened, but it's there. What did the law do? Well, what the law did was it helped to specify the sins that people were committing and clarify it so it sharpened their conviction and helped them understand the depth of their sinfulness and it it made them more accountable. They were able to take full account of the sin that was accumulating in their lives. It wasn't that they weren't sinning, but now it was accumulating and building up and they were taking account of those things as they studied these things and saw these things. I think the illustration I gave you was the illustration of an individual who is suffering with some kind of sickness. He's not been feeling well for some time and he, he knows he ought to go see the doctor, but he doesn't want to go see the doctor because he doesn't really want the diagnosis. He's afraid of the diagnosis. He's afraid it might be something serious. He doesn't want to find out about it. So he just delays and delays and delays. At the same time, things are not quite right in his body. And finally, eventually, he goes to the doctor and the doctor runs a series of tests and discovers that he has a serious sickness, a serious disease. And now the doctor sits down and explains to him and connects the symptoms he's experiencing with the progress of that disease and tells him what that disease will continue to do in his body. And he tells him what it is he needs to do in order to address that disease. Here's what's happening. Now the man is taking an account of his sickness. Now he understands it better than he's understood it before. Now he understands why it was happening and what was causing it and what was going wrong and what was not right in his body. And he's taking account of his sickness. And hopefully as a result, he can begin to avail himself of the provision, the medical provisions that might be available to him in order to address it and treat it. And, but what we could say is this, the doctor and his diagnosis did not cause the disease. The doctor and his diagnosis didn't that moment make disease suddenly appear. It was always going on. It was always there. But now it's being taken into account. And in the same way, the law is simply enabling individuals to take into account the depth of their sinfulness and their condition. And that's why it was given. So here's an application for you. We have to be ready to bring people before God's law. But like good doctor, we have to have a good bedside manner. We have to be gentle and kind and gracious as we're breaking in the news to them, but we have to help them understand. We don't serve a person by ignoring or generalizing their sins. At some point in time, we have to turn even the attention to not only how sin entered through Adam and through one person all this misery can come in the world, but then we have to redirect the misery to their own actions and their own sins. Their own need for that to be addressed specifically, taken care of. We have to bring them into that account 
Paul, Paul talks about that. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. And whether Paul is talking about his conversion experience or whether Paul is talking about something that God was doing in order to bring him deeper and deeper into the power of the salvation and the sanctifying work is something we'll address later. But in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the fact that he had considered himself, in a sense, beyond sin or without sin until he came to the law and he understood the commandment that thou shalt not covet. Actually, what Paul says is he says, I would not have known sin it had not been by the law when he read that one law. Now, what Paul is saying is not, I thought I was perfect and without sin. That there was no, his conscience was still working like any other man's conscience. But he's saying, in a sense, the reality of the depth, the pervasiveness, the fullness, bringing it into a crisp view so I can see all of its lines in 2020 vision and I can see the accounting of it all. I didn't know it until I read this commandment that said, Thou shalt not covet. At that moment, he said, my life was filled with all manner of coveting. He says, the law slew me, basically put me to death. I realized how sinful I was. When we train people in our ministry uh, overseas, we do training here as well. We have different lessons that we give them. At the end of each lesson, we have an application for them that they're to go home and do and then come back the next week and share how they applied it. At the end of one of the lessons, one of the applications is they're to memorize the Ten Commandments that stayed in Exodus chapter 20, but that you'll have no other God before me, and that you'll make no other graven images or bow down to it, and that you won't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That is, that you won't cloak yourself in God's name and then carry on a malicious, sinful life, and that you'll keep the Sabbath rest that God has provided for you, and you'll honor your parents, and you'll not murder, and you'll not commit adultery, and you'll not steal, and you'll not lie, and you'll not covet to memorize those things. And then they're to identify which one of those Ten Commandments the Spirit of God uniquely used and pressed home to them to convict them that they were sinners in need of God's salvation. And they're to come back and share that story. And then I said, I'll share my story when we get back, but here's a hint when we get back together. Mine is thou shalt not murder. Mine is thou shalt not murder. Right? And so that, that piques their interest. And so I'll, I think I've shared this story with you maybe before, but I'll share it with you now. I was about 16 years old. My father had bought me a really nice corduroy uh, suit with the vest and everything, kind of a rust-colored one. I was pretty proud of it. I had grown to such a stature that it was the same size as my older brother. On one Sunday, he asked to wear my suit, persuaded me that, and I let him wear the suit. So we would, he would wear my suit to church. We went to the church where the church was located, we went way early. Our father had sent us there to open it up and do some setup in the church to prepare for the service that morning. We found out we didn't have the keys to the church. And we were on the other side of town in this neighborhood. I said, well, we'll have to go back. We'll just have to wait till dad comes and we can get in. And my brother said, no, we can climb through that window there. I can get up and climb through the window. And I said, no, I don't want you climbing through the window because you'll get my suit dirty. I could see the window was lined with dirt and scum and film. And no, no, we'll do it. I said, no, you can't. Oh, it's got a crack open. I can climb through it. No, you're not going to. And then a disagreement began to develop. And a wrestling match took place on the front lawn of the church. Eventually, he overpowered me and then jumped up and climbed through the window. And as he's climbing through the window, I'm sure this really impressed all the neighbors around, right? I started shouting, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I think that was it. I was so mad and angry at him that I I couldn't even go into church after that. I just wandered around the park that was by that church, just boiling and seething. I was so mad at him that he had soiled my new corduroy suit. 
and I began to tabulate my mind the, the table of offenses that he committed to me. And then I began to attach those offenses to character flaws, to the heart of evil in himself. And then I began to plot out what I could do to pay him back for those things. And this was just going on, and I was walking the park, just seeding over these things. And I didn't go into the church service. The church service was going on. I didn't go into the church service. And then I sat down finally. I threw the Bible that I had down on the table in front of me, a picnic table, sat down and thought, I'll read the Bible. And the Bible flopped open, flopped open to 1 John chapter 3. And my eyes went directly to verses 14 and 15. And these are the only verses I read. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And an accounting took place in that hour. An accounting of the law of God. A deep conviction. I forgot the offense of my brother. My offense far, far outweighed his indiscretion and his carelessness. God was dealing with me and showing me my sin, my self-righteousness. And God was bringing me under, you might say, the light and the scope of the law of God so that sin might proliferate in me. That's what Paul is saying here. Thanks for listening in today to The Bread of Life. Keep the missionaries of Church Partnership Evangelism in your prayers as they work in Ecuador and Cambodia and India and Indonesia and Greece and Bulgaria to release the body of Christ as his witnesses. Find out more by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.